Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. do someone usually we need to make our track by track for this album one episode we have to manage it well yeah well this is very inside baseball um but i'll talk to you about it afterwards we need yeah we need to like but having said that we also have 15 tracks to get through on the next one i mean this one is the manic's biggest selling one isn't it this yeah. is like five million something like that yeah 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 triple it's just that so far we've done four albums and three of those four have been double episodes oh right I see right. <laughs> and it's just, we're just we're never gonna get through it otherwise well yeah but I, I think I think I'm happy to let the episodes get a bit longer at this point yeah I think people aren't gonna struggle with two and a half hours now I mean, I've had I've had people, but this is more. This is like friends who aren't listening to it because they love Manic, they're listening to it because they love me. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a curiosity. Sure. Say, <laughs> say, say, I think it's too long, and I've just said we only release every two weeks, so just imagine it's half the length and once a week. Yeah, <laughs> I could do that um, if you want, but then you're looking at four episodes per album, and that just seems no, no. I don't like mean actually much. separate. I just mean if you're finding it too long, listen halfway. Yeah. Stop. Listen to it a week later from the halfway point. Yeah. Treat it like it's a half a length album. And this will all stay in the podcast, and you can, you know, uh, this is fine. This will be the bit where we chat beforehand. Yeah, I can name and shame them. And that's fine. And is it Leanne? Then I'll do the uh, <laughs> I'll do the intro. When are you Hello, the intro? and oh, and Steve just talking uh, over me. Uh, hello, and welcome to Do You Love Us, a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of Manic Street Preachers. You okay, Adam? Nailed it. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, Steve hey. Murphy. Cut me off again. And Lucas <laughs> Way. Why does Steve always get fir- get to go first? Uh, it's alphabetical by surname. 
1-0. Okay, <laughs> write it down. Uh, and we also have with us, get this, we have a guest. Now, I'm terrified. We have uh, <laughs> one of the hosts of the Welsh Music Podcast. We've got Neil Collins with us. Hello. How are you guys? Hi, Neil. Good thank to be here. You, uh, thank you so much for not speaking until I've introduced you. That is great <laughs> guest <laughs> etiquette. Yeah, see, I didn't even do that. Um, so, yeah, you, uh, you run the Welsh Music Podcast. Run yeah. Um, run the it's taken on a mind of its own, really. Um, we started in October, just me and my mate, um, over a pint at lunchtime. And um, we've been thinking of working together for a few years, um, maybe like managing bands or marketing and press for bands and that sort of thing. We hadn't really made anything work. But um, yeah, um, we come up with this sort of concept and mm. it covers, you know, the past, present and future of um, Welsh music and culture. So yeah, it's been great, really, a real labour of love. It's it's a really interesting listen actually, and you you have you have Welsh guests on who then pick yeah uh, uh, their favourite sort of Welsh album, right? Yeah, it's um, I, I think it's quite an interesting concept in terms of you hear so many artists talking so much the A to Z of their own music, but you don't you know it's I think the beauty of it is that you'll have like you know um, maybe someone from the Superfairy Animals talking about a Gorky's Zygotic Monkey album, or you'll have mm. maybe one of the Manics talking about a Bad Finger album, or you know it's endless sort of and it's just a real interesting perspective then because you're not having something that's immediately linked with the band it's, it's yeah, kind of like a fan yeah. perspective a bit like this i suppose uh well yeah except there's only one fan on this, uh, <laughs> on, this on this podcast i feel like every podcast seems to start over a pint Oh god, it yeah, yeah, to be, yeah. It seems to be yeah. you have a point and you go, oh, we should talk about something on it. We should just do this, we could, but guys, on a we microphone. Guys, we should do a podcast. <laughs> Why don't we do a podcast? <laughs> no one's done a Let's podcast. Let's do a podcast, guys. Did you find it was one of those things that you just kind of uh, started as a bit of fun? Oh, um, absolutely, And then it kind yeah. of wildly kind of went out of control. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, though. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I, I don't think, like, the Welsh really sort of celebrate the... You know, for such a small nation, three million people, you know, the, the bands that we have got... Um, you know, I don't know whether you guys are into Badfinger from back in the 70s, excellent band. You know, we had Man and Budgie back in the 70s. John Cale, you know, huge mm. uh, figure with Velvet Underground. Um, Manic Street Preachers, obviously. Um, Catatonia, great songwriters from the 90s. Um, and you've got Super Free Animals, just ever sort of inventive and experimental, you know. Do you know, I've never, got, I've never gotten into Super Free Animals. <sighs> and I've got no idea where to start. Adam. Um, I know. <laughs> Probably the beginning. Yeah, really? <laughs> entry point. Yeah, probably. Yeah, fuzzy logic. The debut on uh, great entry point. But um, we're doing right, a on my list. 20th anniversary edition of Mung, which is um, a Welsh language album they brought out, which was brought up in the House and Commons at the time. Um, on, let me turn my sound off. You can edit this brown. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I'm going to leave it in, Neil. I'm going to leave it. In. <laughs> I'm going to expose you. Wait, right. wait. Were we supposed to be recording already? <laughs> Um, yeah, I believed you then. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're definitely a band worth checking out. Um, the Manix love them as well. You know, Griff has collaborated with the Manix a few times. I think he sang um, "Let Robes and Sing" at the O2. I don't know whether you guys were at that concert. I was, yeah. yeah the National Treasures one. That was, yeah. What Amazing. a good concert! Uh, so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. three-hour concert, but it just flew by really. And yeah, that's what you off, want as well. Hats off to the guys I, I, really for doing it. I want more. Three hours is a dream. Yeah, and they had a little interval in the middle, and that's what you want, really. When I've paid forty quid or whatever <coughs> to see a band, I'd rather much, I'd much rather see. Well, well I, I actually yeah, risked life and limb that day because um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I took off in the morning. I was meeting my brother up in London, uh, who lives up there, and um, 
as in my uh, old car, because a crappy sort of red Ford Fiesta, bit of a banger. Yeah, cool. My first ever car, and um, just driving too quickly on the ice to get onto my train, so <laughs> crashed the car into a fence. Oh, shit, no way. <laughs> then, you know, I was all right, you know, and then I had to uh, get a train all up to London, but there were so many people like on these trains that, um, if you remember, the Mannix actually put the gig back because it was due to start yeah, at half seven. I did. And there were yeah. so many people outside the O2 because of the fiasco with all the trains and that. And I think so, yeah, the they, ticket, they've always been even... great like that. It even said like half seven Prompt. sharp. Yeah, yeah I think that's, I seem to remember James saying actually, I, I said you guys half yeah. seven, you know, and they kept down the interval and everything, you know, it was great. You're a really good gesture to their fans. Well, just because so many people were coming from Wales? Um, not, not, not just that, it was just because there was so much um, congestion and uh, delays on the trains of like fans coming up, there were so many people stranded outside the O2 when it was started. Mm. So I think they did they start about. 20 minutes late and then they I think did, they kept yeah, the interval was, down to about 10 minutes 15 minutes it was also like their only gig like for months either side of it and I think yeah. that they were saying they were going on a long break after it yeah. so it was like the last chance to see them and they were playing every single one of their singles that they'd ever yeah. released in one am gig. I right in thinking as well that was the first time James wore the suit uh, the sailor sh- uh, suit after did I, he? I, know, I think he he, he um he wore it for the Holy Bible tour afterwards, but yeah. um, I seem to remember he came out on stage and was like, "Whoa!" And he was in he the sailor like, suit. He looks like Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> something, that's something I realised the other day. I, I remember him taking the mic out, Nicky Wire, actually saying that, like <laughs> Nicky had been saying there was a ribbon that he needed to cut off of the back that didn't suit him, and that sort of thing. So it was quite a good, you know, good laugh. Maybe we need an interval in the middle of our podcast episodes because they're probably too long. What? That'd just like a fifteen-minute bit of just silence. A breather, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting that actually that your podcast has no one's picked a Manix album yeah it's an interesting one really um you know that you know the Manix are absolutely iconic in Wales um mm. do you think that's what it is they're just you just take them for granted it, a little it, bit it could, it could be a bit uh, I, I think they're, they're so well documented I suppose um maybe um our guests choose something slightly a bit more left field or yeah. and they've been sort of it's like a mates album or something they've been involved in in a roundabout way. Maybe they did a cameo on that album or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, th- I think we've got um, the Holy Bible and everything must go provisionally reserved for guests that we can't name yet. But uh, oh, um, interesting. <laughs> Adam Scott. <Scott-Lass, laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward now to actually now we're you know six months in and we've chosen maybe about 40 albums that we can look forward wow. to Maddox albums being you know splurged really uh, yeah I, I think maybe it's a little bit like I, we talked about it on the Everything Must Go episode which I know that no one's heard yet I think it comes out tomorrow that um, like obviously one of my favourite Manic songs is A Design for Life yep. but it almost never makes my list of favourite Manic songs what? because you, well because you just Every, every book, like, there's, there's no value to putting it in yeah, my top 10 yeah. I mean everybody it's, already it's knows it's like we talked about behind. motorcycle emptiness as well we're just like you just sort of <clears throat> you just know it and so you sort of just forget about it because yeah. it's just there all the time yeah, and I, I think mean, that's, that might be like the Mannix to Welsh music is you just go yeah well of course there's the Mannix but also there's all this other kind of stuff that, hmm. that gets um, talked about yeah less. I mean uh, uh, the amount of times I suppose that Design for Life has been played on the radio over the years that I, I suppose you could I, I don't know whether it's overplayed or what but um I think certainly there's a level of when you're so familiar with something, perhaps you don't enjoy it quite the same. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's not even that. It's that you don't even consider it because, of of course, Design yeah. for Life's great. But then, 
Yeah, I know. There's I all this other stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just just I mean, I'm entirely predictable. Like it is my favorite Manix track. So. Oh yeah, it's so, a, I mean, so great track. track. Yeah. <laughs> just never um, mention it. And and it's uh, absolutely incredible live as well. Um, it, it's it just gets better and better. I think James's vocal is incredible on it. Um, I love the end with the the drums at the end and everyone yep. claps yeah. along. Even got on, on the recorded now. on the recorded version. Actually, I do miss the. Um, the, the big like the last chord that he does when when it's live yes yeah and, uh, and also as well this is very that. nerdy <laughs> that's a sign that's a sign you're a mega fan of a band is when you you miss the little tweaks they do <laughs> yeah, live because yeah. you've seen it so many times well, 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 yeah. it's like, I mean, I, i'm guilty of that with the band that will not be mentioned but. sure i mean he, he does yeah. this great thing with motorcycle emptiness um you know the bit you've given us, you've given us, you've given us, yeah, and, yeah, and like yeah. he does that amazingly live, which he does better than actually on does the it puts a bit of a recording. scream on it, doesn't he? Yes, than, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, with Design for Life, version. absolutely perfect finale to a manic show. But um, I've actually seen them like on the Everything Must Go tour and the Past, Present, Future tour, where they played it second song in the set, and it just feels yeah. so wrong. That was but our first ever gig. Doesn't feel and of course, the same. That was going to be the big song, and I was like, oh well, they've. They've played it now. They came out and they opened with Of Walking Abortion, which I've never oh heard my God. before. Right. I didn't know and then they played yeah. a design for life. And then I was like, well, I don't know what this gig's going to be now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool tour, that was, because they played loads of sort of curveballs on that tour. But um, Yeah. I had good fun I, on that. I, 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 think, I, think, I think the Mannix maybe don't quite feel comfortable with it when it's not the end of the set. I, 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 I don't know whether I'm doing them injustice well, there, but... This is so nerdy, and we will get on to like Welsh music broadly in a minute. But they finish with it; they don't put it last when they tour Europe, because right. it, because it isn't their their biggest song in Europe. Uh, if you tolerate this, your children will yes, be next. Yes, yeah. So they close the set with "If You Tolerate" a lot of times. Ah, right. And I know, um, isn't it in Germany they go nuts for "Suicide Is Painless"? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of the odd <laughs> another weird quarter hits. In, but then I think in Germany's got a sort of heavier rock sort of. Fan base is that? That probably that? yeah. That 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 tracks with with my stereotypical view of what goes on in music, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, Neil, uh, what is music? <laughs> Jeez, uh... you're a t- you're an awful host and an awful man. Oh my god! Right, so those no who, those listening, you can Adam's just giggling to himself. <laughs> so this is, I've got to come up with a definition of music. What is? What is music? To be fair, he did ask both of us this question. Did, did you guys struggle? Ask it. Everybody uh, who comes yeah. on the podcast will get this question. Uh, yeah, my answer was very, very uh, literal. This is where he got the nickname um, Robot Man. I think music in its truest form, obviously he's never going to do it, but it's, it should be something that transcends you to a different place to where you are um, through its melody and... Um, my God, there's so many different types of music, though, you know, that can transcend you into that journey. I'm getting a bit... That's a, no, You've that's already a really, given a, that's a really far better answer than Lucas. A really beautiful answer. Uh, <laughs> but, but then there's so much wrong. music, there's so much music like, I don't know, uh, Blue by Eiffel 65, which isn't music, you know. Well, it's that, um, that, tra- that, that transcends, that takes me to a place, <laughs> that takes me to 1999. Well, yeah, like, yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of like. That transports me to a different place because if it's playing, I move somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See what I've. I've <laughs> See, my answer. Guys. My answer to that question was: music is notes in a row. So you've definitely bested <laughs> me. <laughs> and what was your Steve? 
Uh, that's a very good question. I can't remember what I say now. Uh, an artistic expression of one's soul. Oh, that's good. Do you yeah. like that? Oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. better than mine. Yeah, mine, just ra- <laughs> mine rambled off into silence. Really. But uh, <laughs> as Adam did say a minute ago, um, we're wrong and he's right. So Yeah, but um, all of your answers are wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> my answer's the correct one. Are you revealing like, your hand or...? Or what was, was it? What was mine? Uh, mine was mine was probably something to do about human communication. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a way a way to communicate something that you can't do just through speaking. The problem is, I'm just such a pedant that the moment you say that, I'll come up with this stupid example like Eiffel 65, where it's like, well, that song doesn't communicate anything; it's just a silly song. No, I think that does communicate something, and obviously, look forward to our bonus episode. On <laughs> oh no, guys, guys, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> So, uh, but, so with the idea that music uh, should transport you to another place or, or transcend something, um, what what is it that got you into Manic Street Preachers? What was that first Ooh. moment that that transcended or transported you? Um, I first encountered the Manics in the nineties. I, I wasn't really into um, hugely into music when you know when I was really young. It was only when I got to about fifteen that it became an obsession. So. Um, I remember everything. Um, I remember Design for Life coming out at the time, uh, and I remember loving it. Like even when I was like, my God, how old have I been? Ten, eleven years old when um, Design for Life came out. And even though I didn't understand the lyric, I remember seeing the video and thinking, "This is, the the video is perfect." You know, and yeah, it's, it's a very such cool a strong video. with the slogans. Um, you know, hope lies in the prold and all this. Thing. As a ten year old, you think, "What's all this?" But you know, it's really powerful. I remember like just seeing James bellowing, you know, these lyrics out. So I suppose um, that song sort of transcended your ability to understand it absolutely yeah at the time i I just thought the chorus is amazing you know i remember even like you know i'd have been in year six year seven when it came out and just thinking Mm. that chorus is amazing um but yeah weirdly the first time i ever saw the manix it was strange actually because with the lockdown um in wales they're showing classic welsh football games which uh there isn't that many in terms of like you know amazing wins. So like we've been show they've been showing them like in full in the last uh, few weeks. And um, the first time I saw the Manics was they played on the pitch before the Wales Italy game in two thousand two. Oh, so they cool. did. Um, any 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 guesses what two songs they played? In two thousand and two. Well, um, yeah. It, 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 to the me, they're, they're, they're... <laughs> <laughs> and seven pounds. Repeat stars and stripes. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's always going to be their 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 go to. Um, songs really which is um you sold some for my heart right. and a design for life yeah mm. so i saw them play that and I, I remember i also saw them after euro 2016 and they, when um, wales got to semi-final they had this sort of welcome home party at card city stadium and the manics played that and they did their um together stronger song but i saw james uh, uh, smoking yes. a fag outside the stadium and i said to him um what are you playing and he more or less looked at me it's like do, do you need to fucking ask? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be used all the time by her and design for life. You know, <laughs> which you know, especially in the case of design for life, it's such a powerful song, but it has sort of transcended into the sort of mainstream where, yeah, you know, and I know Mike Hedges at the time when they recorded, he said that sounds like a jukebox hit, jukebox hit. Yeah, and um, I think it has sort of. If you ask anyone who hasn't really got that much of an interest in the band or the manic, you know, or music, they'll at least say "It's Time for Life." They have at least heard that song. Yeah, yeah. Well, and when, and when, Neil, I, when we started this podcast, shut up, Lucas. I've got a question. <laughs> um, do you only see Manic Street Preachers at sporting events? <laughs> um, 
I, I first saw them on the Forever Delay tour. Um, okay, that must have been an interesting October tour. October uh, No, no, that was December 2002. Um, <laughs> I was only, how old have I been? 15, 16? I remember my mum phoned up for the tickets. That's how, like, a different world oh it God. seems like. And she wouldn't let me go in the pit. I had to sit, <laughs> to go on the balcony. <laughs> and um, I, I, one of the, yeah, I remember the design for life that night where James Scale, the speaker, do you know the bit where the strings kick in and he does the guitar fill and he jumped down off that and that was just like an amazing sort of... Um, and I seem to remember Nicky Wire bringing out a skipping rope at the end. Sure, and it, it, sure. he had like, sort of like Joe Calzaghe boxer level, like, you know, skipping skills. It was amazing. In, 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 a, in a mini skirt as well. I saw them receiving an award. I saw a clip of it, and Nicky Wire's just in the background skipping. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> that that was the Brits, I think. Was I it? think you're right. Yeah, I don't know why I saw it. Keep coming up now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've seen them on every tour since. And um... oh wow! So you are a big. How many times have you seen them? Then do you have um, a number? It would be. I mean, I'm probably quite low compared to some fans. Uh, I'm probably about twenty five, thirty times I've seen them. Oh, that's pretty low, isn't it? That's Only really low, Neil. Oh, no, but like, really if, you, low. if you think of some fans who've been fans since the start, I mean, you could be yeah. talking, I don't know, over Hundreds. 100 maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, but, there um, are some people um, who then kind of try and see as many gigs on each <clears throat> tour as well. Yes, yeah. Well, they follow them about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was talking, I, we, we are vaguely here to talk about This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, so I put out the call <laughs> on Twitter for like thoughts last night. And... Um, and someone told me that um, it was their first time seeing the Manics, but they went to every stop on the tour except for two. Right. Jeez. Wow. That just seems mad, because I bet the set list is 96% oh, the gotcha, same. Oh, gotcha, yeah, yeah. Maybe the odd yeah. song that's different, yeah. But, yeah, I, I've, nev- I've yeah. never done anything like that. I think I, I think I saw them twice on the Everything Must Go 20 tour, which I saw on the Liberty, Liberty Stadium and mm. Royal Albert Hall. But um, I've, I've always been sort of obsessed with my interests, whether it's... Um, you know, I, I've gone encyclopedic knowledge of like Liverpool results from like 20, 30 years ago and stuff like that. I'm just a proper <laughs> geek with interests, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, like a, the only times that I've seen them, I've seen them twice, haven't I, Adam? You can tell me that. Is that right? Uh, yes. That's yeah, right. Both it, times it's been at Southampton Guildhall. Southampton Guildhall, which is infamously awful sound. Um, yeah, so I'd really like to see them somewhere where it's not terrible. Um, <laughs> We've got tickets to see them now. We Hooray. have. In the most yeah. point. Yes. Amazing gesture for the NHS as well. Ah, fantastic. Very excited. Yeah, that's very cool. Was, was, was that the, I think I saw you on Twitter saying that was the Southampton gig where there was a fight in the crowd, was it? Um, not when Steve was there. Because Steve, we're talking like, 2005 and 2007 when Steve went to see them with me. Oh, right. I, I didn't realise Steve went that far back. Yeah, I yeah. forced him into it at a very young age. But they <laughs> had just released, their, they just released their best album then, didn't they? So that's probably why. Sure. Oh, so no, everything must go came out way earlier. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, <laughs> you just giving uh, away your the, hand the on what the, you're going to... The one where the fight broke out uh, was the This Is My Truth tour. Oh, right, okay. Which yep. happened at like four or five stops. Very on strange, this is yeah. My Truth Very tour. strange for a manic I crowd. think it's because it's quite a slow album. Mm. And the more kind of casual fans who don't really talk about love and just want to get drunk <laughs> were probably like well up for a fight during the uh, <laughs> during the slower well, songs. I, th- I thought you said there was often fights at the, at the gigs between the Old Guard and the Oasis yeah, but not type any, fans. Not anymore, Lucas. We, don't oh, forget, okay. in, in our run-through, we're in like the late 90s. Yeah, I forget how far back yeah. we've... I forget how many albums we've still yeah. got to get. So I suppose, <laughs> like, as we're in... As we're, we're kind of currently in the late 90s, our run-through, Neil, you were a fan... 
when This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours came out? No, not quite. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 came, I, I came into it um, after Know Your Enemy, so around okay. about 2002, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember You Stole Some From My Heart coming out and uh, If You Tolerate This, mm. because they, they do sort of seep into the public consciousness because they're such great songs, you know, and Absolutely. obviously more as well. They were, yeah, they played to death on the radio, and obviously that you couldn't get away from them. Those mm. songs, I think no. everyone kind of knows those songs, even if they don't really know who it's by. Um, well, they were, they were like one of the four or five songs that I knew yeah. when we first started this podcast. It was, what do you know? If you tolerate this, you'll be next. Mm. Motorcycle emptiness, uh, design for life. Yeah, I understood oh, yeah, about half then, of yeah. what you said there, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> if you tolerate this, we're, uh, no, 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 next. No, no, no. Yeah, I suppose motorcycle emptiness is one that you come into. If you haven't come in from the start, that will be a favourite. I was surprised I that it was on Generation Terrorists, to be honest. Um, I didn't realise it was on their first album. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think we touched on it briefly. I don't really think it fits that album very well. I think it really stands out. But, yeah, it's such a good hit. I didn't realise it was that far back. Yeah. Um, good song. Um, it is a good song. Yeah. yeah. Another, another favourite... Well, I don't know if it would be my top ten, but... Um, it's certainly one I wanted to bring up because I know Lucas doesn't like it. Is um, from the Spare to Wear, mm, which is yeah, a, another hit. Another that's, a great tu- that's a massive tune, surely. Wait, yeah. which which album? Remind yeah, me. Yeah, Lucas doesn't remember. <laughs> Lucas won't have remembered the last ten minutes, so, so you'll have to remind. It's him. from Gold Against the Soul. I've had to learn a lot of songs on a lot of albums in a short space of time. Yeah, yeah I suppose I've got a bit of sympathy. There, it, it's from sure. Gold Against the Soul, Lucas. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you don't want me to sing it. It's got that guitar I do. that goes. Wah, 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 wah. And you uh, said and you didn't rate it. But I have had it in the past though, where the, there's nothing nice in my head as an, mm. an earworm that hasn't gone for about. Oh yeah, it's, that was in my head so. for weeks yeah, after yeah, I did yeah, that yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, I think what oh. Lucas actually said about it was that he feels nothing about it, and what? I think that that's just been consolidated by the fact that you can't even remember what song it is. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert: there's a song on this album where I've got no notes <laughs> I've or written the word notes. I've written the word nothing <laughs> next song really you, you took just your time to write right next to if you tolerate this your children will be next it oh, just no, it just like. has nothing I, I, I was wondering this morning actually whether uh, if I had years to digest all these albums like a fan yeah. like a proper fan who yeah. would, would how I would feel differently because yeah. I'm obviously I am yeah, marathoning yeah, I so. the, light, the Lighthouse family <laughs> <laughs> I am marathoning the Panic Street Preachers. Good. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I probably feel the same with um, our podcast to an extent, where a guest will pick an album perhaps you're not so familiar with, and you're like, geez, I've, I've got to listen to, you know, and the, the scheduling come run, comes run quick. And you're like, and you I've, got to, non-stop for I, yeah, I've got to listen to this really quickly now for a week. Mm. And yeah, I, I do think if you've got that time to sort of really let it sort of absorb into you that, your yeah, you can't appreciate will change it. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's like obviously Adam's probably got that, and and yourself, Neil, probably have that nostalgic thing with them as well. So certain songs will remind you of certain manic songs remind you of a certain time in your life. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. me and Lucas, obviously coming into it, won't have that as much. Apart from I can just I think of the '90s when I think of Design for Life. Like there's not much else. Um, yeah, yeah. The songs just the songs just make me think of that episode. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so in order for you to like an album, we have to make sure that we've done a really good episode on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah you you're, find you're, a lot you're, of you're probably the same as me, Adam. That certain tracks will take you back to certain times of your life. Um, yes and no. I tend to be able to kind of. 
be quite critical of things and you uh, I, I was i was a <laughs> i was a music reviewer for for, for a, quite a long period of time and and so i've sort of been able to just evaluate things at face value rather yeah. than how they make me feel which is why this is so uh interesting for me to do this podcast and i say that about my own podcast uh is it's because for for sort of the last few years i sort of fell out of love with manic street preachers a bit god right and and i think this is the first time i'm saying it on the podcast but uh it's important for the narrative is that i didn't really there was about three or four years where i just didn't listen to them and had sort of gone off them and figured i'd just completely gotten over them yeah. And a part of the impetus for doing this podcast is to see how I really feel about them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's surprising, actually, how many fans, when you're speaking on social media, will say, oh, I didn't get back into them until Jennifer Plague Lovers or Send Away the Tigers and that sort of thing. But, yeah, um, definitely. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm probably not the get best guest in that respect because I'm a bit of a fanboy. You know, I, there's no album I dislike, really. Um, yeah, you were saying that to me when we were having a yeah, chat Yeah, I mean, last it's night. obviously, you know, Everything Must Go is my favourite. Um, spoilers. <laughs> what? Why is that spoilers? Because um, we're about to talk about this one. I know some people think it's sacrilege not to say Holy Bible. I mean, I think it's... There, there's no doubt in it's their greatest artistic statement, the Holy Bible, but I, I think... Don't know. I think Lucas has some doubt about that. Oh, I, spoiler alert, I haven't listened to all of the Holy Bible albums, so I haven't heard the ratings yet. But, um, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, the rating that actually goes on that episode ends up getting re-rated on a later episode anyway. And I'm sure it'll be re-rated on another mind. episode. Right, I, I can't make up my mind. Lucas gets so stressed about yeah. number ratings that he But it is low, Neil. It is below a five it's out of ten. It's low rating. Yeah. All right. Um... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I suppose from an entry point, from a new fan, I, I suppose it's something I, I only delved into after a certain amount of time. I, mm. I think my entry point was like everything must go and this is my truth, really. Then delving into Generation Terrorists and Holy Bible. But um, Holy Bible's perfect, I think. I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, interesting. I spoke to Nicky Wire a few years ago um, and he said the only change he would make to the Holy Bible is he would take um, sheer suffering off it. Which I thought was yeah. really interesting. I could, but, I could um, get on board with that change. It would make oh, the album I, I a little that bit tune. more digestible. I think it's a brilliant single as well. Um, and, and the American mix is even better as well. Oh, because it's got the little synth in it. Yeah, the the, the intro is... Uh, we're, we're sounding like total geeks here. But, um, yeah, this is, this is well, really nerdy. Uh, um, <laughs> as we're talking about that track, I know we're supposed to be talking about This Is My Truth, but um, someone did mention on Twitter that um, she is suffering. Suffering isn't... It, it, it can be used as a noun, right? And that's how they viewed it. And you hadn't seen it like that way before. So like so that she, is she is the concept Lisa. of suffering rather than she is actually suffering. Um, and that's how I read it. I thought it was she oh. is su- the concept of suffering. She is bringing it up on the episode. Yeah. Well, I didn't. <laughs> Thanks for waiting for the episode where we interview someone about this is my truth. Give us your thoughts on she is suffering. That's not the name of it. This is my truth. What are your thoughts? <laughs> that's more or less. Adam, what is title, your truth? Isn't it? My truth, um, I think is we'll that get. You don't like the Manic Street Preachers. Is that yeah. I don't really like them. Yeah, and this <laughs> yeah. is all a uh, money-making. Uh, yeah, all venture. the money we're making from this. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about those three albums, the Holy Bible, Everything Must Go, and this is my truth. Tell me yours. Is that they are all quite, um, to my mind, quite disparate and quite different-sounding albums. Yeah. Big time. Um, and to 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 wind my way to the point and mm. do an amazing segue 
is that this is my truth tell me yours is a very welsh album yeah yeah um in a way that that the holy bible and everything must go kind of aren't like the holy bible is is a very a very insular well i was going to say the opposite steve it's a very insular inside the mind of one person Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything must go is a kind of more universal, sort of euphoric sort of uh, sound. Yeah. And then this is my truth is kind of is in between those two, where it's not very personal and not global, yeah, but it is, it's um, quite a um, very specifically Welsh. And I think Nicky Wire has said it was the first true Welsh folk album. Yeah, pro- probably something they revisited later on with um, Rewind the Film. Um, but yeah, yeah, as you were saying, um, an incredible sort of cycle, really. I don't think there's many bands who can go in three albums from having like the abrasiveness of the Holy Bible, the Angler guitars, and sort of in- influenced by post-punk bands, to then the sort of spectresque wall of sound of Everything Must Go, to then sort of like... Um, an uplifting melancholia sort of it's like a melancholic album um, this is my truth but it's the, yeah. the music is quite uplifting so and, it, and it, i think there's a lot of um influence from sort of um welsh poets like aris thomas and dylan thomas on it um the front cover um kind of like carrying on in a way from everything was going no they went for that sort of blank image after Richie disappeared mm. and it's sort of like um, a little bit like them, New Order it? yeah where they, they went for a purpose like non-image so that mu- the music could do the talking more whereas I suppose in their early days with Generation Terrorists uh, uh, you know a big part of the, the Mannix package was how they looked you know um, yeah. the leopard print the feather boas the... absolutely yeah and I, I think certainly in the case of um, Richie and Nicky um you know the, the the glamour twins that um, I hope I'm not doing them a disservice, but obviously at the time weren't the most musically adept. But they were mm. the sort of chiefs of propaganda for the band, and um, you know they, they just looked amazing. Uh, so yeah, with, with um, this is my truth. It's you know it's uh, a photograph on Black Rock Sands, um, a beach in Pothmadog in North Wales, and um, I, th- I think throughout really it's got um, Welsh um, themes on it. Um, I'll go into could, um, a bit more detail of, at the end, too. Like, I know you said you weren't really a fan at the time, but could you kind of feel that in the water at the time? Obviously, you grew up in Wales. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, the, the Manics were absolutely huge around the time of the millennium. So they obviously headlined Glastonbury. I remember seeing that on all the news yeah. footage at the time. Um, headline tea in the park. I think that was the one when... Um, cause I, I think at Glastonbury, they kind of maybe played it safe. Um, yeah. You know, Whereas Tea in the Park, Nicky Wire being pissed off by Billy Bragg. And I, don't, like, I don't want to talk about that yet because I don't want Lucas and Steve to find out about it. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't want them to know about Toilet Gate oh, right, just right. yet. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to find this out. Absolutely. When do I get to find out this story? On the next episode, we're going to go into oh, yes. Toilet Gate. Okay. Yeah, it's a great story, that is. Um, how, how did it feel at the time? Like, obviously, this band. Um, became one of the biggest like around this album probably became one of the biggest bands in the world at that point is that fair to say but yeah was it was it quite did you feel quite proud that they are a welsh band oh absolutely i still do now um yeah you know they're, they're my favorite band of all time and i think it's just a bonus that they are yeah. where i'm from as well um i think at the time um it certainly around 1997 oasis would have been the biggest band in the country um mm. 
but then they bought out Be Here Now, which is divisive. It's, <laughs> you, you know a fan, I don't know. I don't like Oasis anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they were the biggest band in the country. They didn't bring out another um, record until 2000 then, and I think it was perfectly time then for the Manics just to sort of take their place. And it, they, I think the Britpop party got so excessive in terms of like cocaine and booze and all that sort of thing that people were sort of yearning for something a bit different and a bit more substance perhaps and um mm. i certainly think the manics took that mantle and ran with it really um it's a very grown-up album isn't it this is oh yeah it's, it's it's a very mature i mean i i, I don't think the manics were ever um comfortable with the brick pop i I, th- I think they think there's good records from that time but there was also a lot of shit as well yeah, um, they true. were kind of co-opted into that movement. You know, everything came under yeah, the Britpop banner. They don't fit with with Britpop. No, me, I, really. I, I definitely, and you know, without knowing when I didn't know anything about them, I would definitely have just lumped them into that group of Oasis, Blur, yeah, Manix, sure. Stereophonics. But but I think I think that, Super Three you know, Animals had the same problem as well because they were signed to Creation, who was Alan McGee's label, who were mm. obviously famously Oasis label as well, and. Um, I think people maybe initially thought, oh, they're another Britpop band, you know, but Super Furry Animals are a really experimental, sort of ever-changing dynamic sort of outfit, really. And uh, with with the Manics, really, you, you can't, you know, a song like If You Tolerate This about um, the Spanish Civil War getting to number one, that, that's just unprecedented at the time. Um, yeah, that is, that's mad even, even now to say that, you know, yeah, like a number yeah. one single about the Spanish Civil War. Uh, talking about shooting fascists, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't really. What's number one at the moment? Do we know? <clears throat> oh, exactly. But right now, do you want me to find yeah. out? I bet we haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, go on, Steve. You find out while we talk. Um, I mean, that just goes with my theory that it's because most people don't listen to the lyrics, and they Ooh, just go, "That's interesting." Catchy. I, I would and say, that, and so they don't realise what it's about because they just. I'd say that uh, probably applies to the wider public. I think music fans. Tend yeah. To... yeah, I definitely represent the normies. Yeah, Luke, us okay. music fans. This Luke. shows that <laughs> this is going to make me sound a hundred years old, but I yeah. can't tell what the artist's name is and what the song name is. <laughs> okay, um, read them both out. Blinding lights by, by weekend? weekend. Weekend, yeah. Okay. Weekend, oh, yeah. weekend one. You know it's what? got a le- letter missing as well, doesn't it? I think. Weekend. Weekend. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. I like that song. Uh, and then there's Hot roses take. by Saint Jun, which has also got a letter missing from John. <laughs> There you go. That's that's your. Okay, uh, yeah. That's, that's how to make a hit. <laughs> I'm now Stiv. 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 The manic street pushers. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. You, so, do you, think, um, do you think it like, I sp- what kind of impact do you think manic street pushers had on Welsh culture? Uh, you, you've talked about like how big they were around the millennium, but then, what, I, I'm only just kind of getting to grips with all this stuff. That there was a period around the millennium called. Well, dubbed by the BBC as Cool Cymru. Yeah. It, so it's, Welsh it's, culture was in the kind of water at that point, right? It's, it's a little bit like um, a sort of all-encompassing Britpop banner in terms of like every, everyone with a guitar was collected under this yeah. banner of Cool Cymru, even though that they were really disparate bands. So like there's not, you know, you, you wouldn't compare say the stereophonics with the manix feeder are quite different and then there's 60 foot dolls um who were sort of more punky sort of grungy sound um but i think the what really happened with cool cymru was it was it was 
the bands of the 80s, the Welsh language bands, um, who really um, sort of paved the way for the Manic St- and other bands like that to have success in the 90s. So, for instance, um, up until the early 90s, um, Welsh music had sort of been characterised as by the you know British press as sort of like male voice choirs, maybe um, sure. stuff like Tom Jones, yeah. Shirley Bassey and Shaking Stevens, Bonnie Tyler. So hugely sort of successful sort of acts but not really if you're you know an indie music fan or a rock fan what you're after so if you if you remember in the early days of the manics that it was very much with the enemy and stuff like that there was lots of headlines like sexy motherfuckers and yeah. <laughs> leaks yeah, and daffodils instead of guns and roses and that sort of thing as and, um, and stuff like that yeah yeah i mean at, at the time we we said about it in our first episode with um, David Owens, the Welsh music mm. journalist, and he was saying that um, <clears throat> you just couldn't get A and R men to come over the Seven Bridge very easily. Yeah. It was it was more or less seen as like a waste of time coming over the border to see bands like um, well, like you know, trying to get the, the Manics were lucky in terms they had Hall or Nothing. Who well, but, but even to get Rose. Hall or Nothing, they had to go to London. Well, yeah, you know, exactly. They, they couldn't get anybody over the river to, to see. Uh, and, and there's stories of like you know the Stereophonics sending out their demo tapes in like you know like in a shoe or in takeaway sure. cartons and stuff like that, Amazing. just so that he would just to get attention. Yeah, yeah, just so it would look different in in the mail that was coming through. And then there was like sort of stories of bands. Um, I would assume go- that that was a bomb if someone <laughs> sent me a shoe. Yeah. Um, I definitely wouldn't inspect but yeah, it I mean, any there closer. Was, but would you in the ni- the nineties? Everything was fine. <laughs> there was nothing to worry about then. Um, but um, perhaps yeah. in Ireland there was. But no, let's move on. Um, there, there was even like you know bands who would go over to Bristol to post their CDs so that it would have an English postmark so that oh, it wouldn't wow. just be tossed aside. Good grief! So for, for the, someone like the Mannix, I think that they had to come up with this huge over-the-top image. To mm. sort of be, you know, and like the the for real instant, you know, I know um, the Manics still sort of see it as a kind of like an artistic statement in terms of this is how, you know, genuine we are about what we want to do and this is yeah. how ambitious we are and that sort of thing. So I, I, I do think like it was those it was those people like, I, I don't know whether you've listened to our episode with Reese Moyne, who was um, an old sort of punk. He would go yes, actively yeah. around places and he would go and see, you wouldn't be able to do it now. But he would literally go to John Peel's like office and demand to see him, um, and he would, you know he'd go to the enemy and go straight up to the desk and deliver them by hand to people, which you wouldn't even get past like security now. No. So yeah, th- th- it was it was those sort of really influential figures in the eighties that sort of paved the way for the nineties. But then I suppose the Manics really kicked down the doors for the likes of. Catatonia Stereophonics and Super Furies and that sort of thing later in the decade. But then, the do 90s. you think that's why their, their first four albums aren't as um, quote unquote Welsh as This Is My Truth is because you did kind of had to it, I mean it seems like in order to like in order to get um, a recording contract at that point you almost had to hide the fact that you were Welsh <laughs> in order to just yeah. get your foot in the door I, I mean I, I think the Manics were always sort of quite um, candid about the fact that they were willing to whore themselves out to the biggest sort of record companies yeah, um, that was very much their bit. Yeah, as it were. so so they they signed to Sony. They had no sort of um, guilt about selling out. They wanted to be that big. They wanted mm. to you know outsell Guns and Roses and 
headline seven nights at Wembley Stadium and set the, set themselves on fire on top of the pop. They had to have this absolute yeah. hyperbole to get the, the public's ear, you know, and the press's ear. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's so interesting to me that as soon as they, you know, they have this massive success with everything must go. Um, they tone it down? No, not not that they tone it, but they do they do make the music a little bit more toned down. But what they do when, when they're in the position where they can do whatever they want, they choose to be more who they really are as people. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like symbolic of when you're young, really. Like you get sort of bored and um, of where you come from and perhaps like, you know, living with your parents and that sort of thing. And it's the same sort of, with, uh, you, you know, with Oasis, they were always like, oh, we're from Burnage, it's grey, it's dull, it's horrible and all this. Mm. And then at that level of success, all of a sudden they've got like Union Jack guitars and that sort of thing, they're embracing it. Whereas if you think about it, with the Manics, um, they couldn't really say, oh, we're from Wales, we're from Wales, we're from Wales, because it just wouldn't, it would just be laughed at in the in the English press. Yeah. So it wasn't until they reached Does- that level of mainstream acceptance by 1996 when they could put the Wales flags on the guitars, Nicky Wire with the Wales flag wrapped on his shoulders collecting the Brit Award. Um, so I think it was only once they had really sort of reached a level of big success that they could feel comfortable with it. Because um, obviously Richie's mm. quote was, if Blackwood was amusing, we'd be full of rubble and shit. So, yeah, so I, I think saying that one. They, they've always, <laughs> they, they've always, I, I, I think, um, felt a proudness of where they're from. But I think it was just a means to an end sort of thing, um, especially in the you know early nineties before, you know, the big sort of time of um, everything was go. Is it like, is it potentially the the Richie in the room? The fact that the first three albums. Uh, Richie was like obviously heavily involved with, and then Everything Must Go was like the post Richie album. And is it now? Would it would would they have done this if Richie was still in the band? Do you think like sort of gone a bit more? You know how to how to how to phrase it? Gone a bit more homegrown, bit more like about the, you know they're much more Welsh and they're they've toned down the sort of image a lot more and everything. Or do you think they would still have been feather boas and singing about global? you know, politics and all this um, mad stuff. I, I think it's more the fact that Richie and Nicky have got very different ways of writing. So I think Richie uh, Richie was an absolute sponge for everything. You know, he was on a different plane of intelligence. He would you know read up to like five, six books a week. People I've never, ever heard of in my life and I'm sort of semi-intelligent, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, sort of semi-intelligent. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he would you know, just absorb all of that and he would be writing about these different artists and different sort of dictators and different um, conflicts. And Whereas I think Nicky's more, is inspired by what he maybe sees on TV, documentaries he's seen. Obviously, we'll go into it in a bit um, yeah. about Design for Life was um, initially um, inspired by a Jimmy McGovern episode of Cracker, mm-hmm. the Robbie Coltrane, the, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, Nicky's is a lot more sort of like an obser- observational sort of style of writing, whereas I yeah. think um, Richie's is more a comment on what's going on in the world and that sort of thing. Do you get, is that a fair? I, I, f- I find that Nicky also writes about himself a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there's you, quite you, a few songs that are you, autobiographical. You'll certainly see with, um, from the Everything Must Go period on, um, there's a level of sort of contentment with 
not playing the rock star so much. And I, I suppose it goes back to their non-image uh, thing after Richie disappeared where... A few you know, lyrics this, about hoovering and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so like Mr. Carbohydrate, yeah. My Little Empire, and, you know, yeah. it goes all through their sort of um, canon, really. You know, I, I live to fall asleep, solitude sometimes is just sort of that happiness in being on your own and with your own thoughts sort of thing, I think. Well, I mean, uh, we seem, we're kind of, we've kind of drifted into talking about the album, so let's talk about the, <clears throat> the quote-unquote Welshness of the album because it is, it is all over it. Yep. Like, even from the title right up until kind of, you know, the music that's, that's on it. Yeah, um, inspired by um, Nairon Bevan, obviously hugely topical at the mm. moment with the NHS. And um, I think it was, um, he had been to um, a memorial talk um, up on the mountain near where he lives. I think it was him and his uh, brother Patrick. And um, <clears throat> there was like, I think it was like pouring down with rain and there was like this shitty sort of speaker they were listening to one of his like speeches out of. And this phrase just jumped out, like, this is my truth, tell me yours. And, yeah, fantastic um, title for an album. I was yeah, going to ask where that came from, so, yeah, great. Very, very, uh, it's a very evocative title, if a bit wordy. <laughs> <laughs> but but then, like, if you think about it, like, that was the difference between Mannix and the sort of Britpop era oh, yeah, in terms absolutely. of, like... Yeah. You had sort of like the likes of Oasis who were quite sort of bullish about the fact that they didn't read and they'd get pissed mm. and do mountains of cocaine um, recording um, Be Here Now. And then there's like the Manics top of the charts with This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. If you tolerate this, um, your children will be next. Just so many words in an era that was trying to sort of decimate sort of words to an extent. Yeah. Art I mean, life. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, yeah, as well, I think... Um, that was what was kind of a reaction from Nicky Wyatt was to um, sort of like park life and um, girls and boys and that sort of thing. And it was um, kind of like Blur trying to act working class when they're kind of like posh kids, really. You know, certainly Alex James with his cheese and... Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're all... Um... And I think, uh, you know, common people even like... Um, which you know is is a song I love, um, but I I I seem to remember Nicky saying in an interview that Jarvis's lyric was with the sort of arched eyebrow, meaning like yeah for sure this humour in it, whereas Nicky wanted to sort of really get across a serious yeah I always find way of showing it from where they came like Blur and Pulp to kind of have like class wise <clears throat> and in terms of where they came from to have more in common with Radiohead than they yes, do with the Manic yeah. Street Preachers yeah absolutely yeah Manic um, Street Preachers obviously like a very working class band. Well, it's like you've, you've been saying from the start, I mean, Manager Beaches come from a very working class background, but go much bigger with what they sing and talk about in yeah. terms of globally. And Whereas, yeah, like you say, Park Life is doing the exact opposite. Which is why it's so interesting, <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's so interesting to me that on what was probably always going to be their biggest album after the success of Everything Must Go, that they chose to write about the place where they came from. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of comes into the thing that you were saying, Neil, about how when you're younger, you kind of want to rebel and you want to get out and you want to leave home. But then when you get a bit older, um, you kind of get um, nostalgic and kind of um, yeah. and you want to you want to revisit home and you want to go back home and visit your parents. Maybe that's them. You know, they want to just revisit Wales and they want to um, well, use um, the platform to, to kind of express that. I mean, I mean, 
there's a term in um, the Welsh language called heroith. Um I don't know whether Adam, you've read um, David Evans's book on the Holy Bible. Uh, yes, I have. He talk he talks about heroith a lot in that, and it's yeah. it's basically a yearning and nostalgia for where you've come from. And it's yeah, I think I, I don't know whether it's the same with you guys, but I, th- I think there is that level of like if you've you know I've lived away when I was in uni and when I was turning to be a journalist and that sort of thing, and when you do return to where you're from, you, you, you do miss it. And um, I think, um, you know, the Manics of all, you know, I think Nicky and James certainly live, you know, um, James lives in Cardiff. Nicky lives kind of near to Blackwood, that's a Newport way. But we, we talked about her on um, our own podcast where um, I went to a talk with um, James Dean Bradford and John Niven, the author, in Hay Festival a few years ago. Hmm. And um, he recalls this story of... Um, in their very early days when they were going off to London to get signed and all that sort of thing. And there's this old bloke living down the road on his doorstep and he says to James, you'll be back, you'll be back, you know. And I think he was more or less saying, like, you know, you're not going to, this isn't going to take off, you'll be back in no time. But in a roundabout way, James James and, you know, Nicky have lived very much and kept close to their roots. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, I don't feel that. From where no. I where I grew up, I'm not going to be very critical. Whenever you come home for like a pub crawl, yeah. you're like this fucking shithole. No, there's not going to be I any um, albums from me about Southampton coming out anytime soon. <laughs> I tell you that much. I, I, um, I, th- I think that's. Um, I think maybe if you come home, like say for instance, you go for a drink at Christmas time, you see like people from school. You think I haven't really kept in touch with these people for a reason. Um, yeah. And I, I think maybe school sort of frames your life more than any sort of um, other aspect of your life in terms of your trapped as that person in school, if you get what I mean. I think um, mm. um, the comedian Stuart Lee talks a lot about this, where it's only in school where you'll always be that person for the rest of your life to, the, to those people. Right, yeah. Whereas, you know, when you go into your later career and that sort of thing, you jump from job to job, that doesn't really apply the same. I don't know if that's... Uh, I, I'm rambling now, anyway. No, I know what you mean, though. You've you, you got, you got a silly nickname at school, yeah, yeah. and if you bump into them when you're 48 years old, they'll still call you're you. You're like, hey, fuck her. But, pe- <laughs> but, pe- but your people at your job respect you and know you as, like, a proper person. Well, yeah, yeah, But exactly. all those people at school still just call you, like... Pucus. Nonsense. Yeah, if you shit you. your pants or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, shit That's funny because I've got a mate, I've got a mate from uni who I still call shit pants because he shit his pants. Oh, you've got a friend, have you? You've got a friend at uni. I've got a real friend. Yeah, it's not, Is that why you? I'm in such like a state of arrested development? Because obviously we all know each other from school. Yeah. So our relationship has never changed. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Basically, yeah, you're still a prick, Adam. Yeah. There's this kind of um, uh, what should I call it? It's almost like a Welsh centerpiece. Uh, of the album in Ready for Drowning and Tsunami which both have quite deep connections to Wales I mean there's things like I mean well, you, you, I'm I'm not Welsh I don't know if you knew that <laughs> and um, I'm like my only real connection to Wales is that my mum was born in Wales and uh, we go there for stag do's yeah. We're like yeah. we're those <laughs> bastards. What, who you are and like, your mum. Well, if if there's going to be a stag do, we'll go to Wales. Yeah, um, <laughs> England. Yeah. So why 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 don't you talk about it from a, from an actual position of authority, Neil? About kind of the Welshness of this album. There's like small references to it in things like if you tolerate this, but 
Ready for Drowning and Tsunami are much, have yeah, much deeper roots yeah. in Wales. So with Ready for Drowning, um, I know Nicky Wires said quite often it's a really sort of complex lyric. It's multifaceted, and um, I think with what I find immediately evocative with Ready for Drowning is just the Hammond organ at the start sounds like a, a, like a chapel, you know, like a chapel's organ, like a church organ. Mm. And it fits in with the whole thing of um, back in the 1960s, um, the town of um, Truerin in North Wales was flooded to supply Liverpool with water. So uh, w- what um, happened there was um, the people had to just get out of their houses. There was even um, like graveyards where people either had to sort of disinter the bodies or just sort of leave them and abandon them, sort of, sort mm. of their family and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's a really sort of sad um, moment really in Welsh history, and it, it, it's it's kind of become more or less like a slogan. Like um, cause there's a there's a term in Welsh called "Covid Druerin," which means "Remember Druerin," and um, with the water that flooded the uh, the town, you can still with the water like sinks every now and again. You can still see the the chapel, the you know the the spire. Oh, so crazy. yeah, that. Um, that was um, quite, sort of, you know, um, a big one in terms of like a Welsh thematically. But um, there's also stuff like um, it talks about the self-destructiveness of sort of like characters like Richard Burton, Dylan Thomas, um, Rachel Roberts, who was sort of destroyed by alcoholism, really. Mm. Um, so starts... drowning in that sense, drowning in yes, drink. yeah, yeah. Um, it references, a, I think, it references a poem. Um, oh. God, what's the poem called? I can't think of the name of the poem now. Um, Leaving this in, I'm going to expose you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, going back to what I was saying, um, it, it, there's a there's a Hammond organ on um, "You're Tender and You're Tired" as well, which evokes that similar sort of Welsh sort of uh, church-like sort of theme. Um, there's also um, a reference to Patagonia, yeah, and that's yeah, where. Yeah. Um, I just Welsh people learned about this. Were threatened with their, the the future of the Welsh language. Went over there to settle in the eighteen sixties. I think. Um, I think there was about fifty thousand people um, speaking uh, Welsh in Catatonia, Catatonia, <laughs> Catalonia today. Um, which when you it, which is quite sort of remarkable when you think. I think it's only about a fifth of Wales is Welsh speaking now. Yeah, but there are still um, Welsh speaking like settlements that exist in argentina yes yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible That's like incredible. across the world like yeah so awesome. um again it's has started... always nikki has always pointed that out as a very welsh thing to do <laughs> is to not kind of emigrate to anywhere that's sort of like tropical or <laughs> anything like that but to go to like a barren place that you can't well, find. well i think i think that sort of fits in with the sort of the melancholia that nikki talks about a lot you know, and it, it, with this sort of theme of the album. I've got a really uh, deep and well thought out question here for you, Neil, which is, is Wales sad? <laughs> <laughs> whenever whenever Nicky talks about it, it seems like a really sad and isolated place. Um, I, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I think, certainly in terms of like the poets, like um, Dylan Thomas yeah. and Aris Thomas, th- th- there's a real sort of melancholia to that. Um I suppose we've had a sort of bit of a downtrodden and sort of oppressed past, I suppose. But um, 
we're kind of like self-deprecating as well about it. You know, you can sort of celebrate the sort of... Um, what's the word? Kind of like celebrate that sort of melancholia a bit, like and just like sort of wear it if you get what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah, we're, we're not we're not a miserable bunch of people, really. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think we're not anyway. Um, like all all across their career, you have lyrics like "redundant as a sad Welsh chapel," yeah, absolutely, nineteen eighty five, yeah. This sullen Welsh heart and stuff like that, and it seems whenever they do get in contact or connect with their kind of Welsh heritage, there is always that like underlying like you say like that melancholia sort of thing is that because they came from well you didn't you say the town where they were from was very affected by the closing of the mines and yeah all sure I yeah mean, i think so is... is it specifically where they are from uh, uh, is maybe yeah, more uh, of a downtrodden place i i i mean i i've lived in murder in the welsh valleys for the last 11 years and it is a different feel to living in the city i was born and bred in cardiff mm. but um although the miners' strike would be, you know, it's, it's hugely instrumental in the Manic's career, especially stuff like Design for Life. But um, I think you can't really sort of, I mean, it was before my time, it was 84, I was born in 86, but you can't really sort of, apart from maybe sort of Brexit now, you more so than Brexit, I would say, something that's dominating the news every day for like a year, you know, first night on the news, miners' strike, miners' strike, you know, violence yeah. and protests and picket lines and that sort of thatcher and all that sort of thing but um yeah I, I would certainly say that um the anger was felt far far more in like valley communities like blackwood than say maybe cardiff yeah and i mean yeah. and i mean that that comes into what you were saying about that kind of history of like uh, oppression uh that, that kind of comes from wales and that sort of melancholic that you know you, you do a country wears those things for a long time i think yeah, I mean, I, I I think the the way that valley communities were decimated after um, the miners' strike um, and the closing of the mines, hugely economic um, in the around the sort of turn of the nineteenth century, hugely economic. But um, when perhaps there were mines that you know there was coal that could be found like abroad that was cheaper and um, could be produced faster and that sort of thing, it killed off entire communities in the valleys because if you think about it, like. There were so many, um, you know, it was just a done thing, for, certainly amongst the males in the community, to work in the mines. Um, yeah. So when that's taken away, and I think there is a feeling, certainly in um, Valley's communities, I, probably justifiably, um, that a hell of a lot of money goes to Cardiff whilst, you know, um, Valley communities are left behind, which is going to be worse now with, like, the lack of EU funding because of Brexit. Oh, God. yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think the sort of scars have been long lasted in some valley communities um, more so than others. But um, yeah, certainly since the mines closed, it's it's uh, kind of yeah really left scars. Mm, yeah, for sure. What um, year did this album um, come out? Ninety. Uh, Ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, which actually, like, I, we we touched on it briefly earlier, but a really interesting time for Welsh culture in general. And yeah. we've talked about the music, but like, I I did I did like a little bit of research on like the the cool Cymru sort of thing. Yeah, it really kicked off around nineteen ninety nine. Like, if you consider, obviously you've got the Mannix. Yep. You've got the Super Fairy Animals, Stereophonics, yep. Catatonia. There's kind of a surge in more. What I would call like consciously Welsh <laughs> acts, like Gorky's yeah. Psychotic Monkey. Yeah. Um. 
But then also outside of music, you've got like Reese fans is in Notting yeah, Hill yeah. and kind of steals that movie. You've got Andy Hopkins, <clears throat> yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones, there's a resurgence of Tom Jones, there's Ryan Giggs, there's Joe Calzaghe. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, we talk about this in... Um, Dave, Dave, our mate Dave Owens sort of summarised this so well in the Man Millennium episode where by the end of... It, the, the dichotomy between the start of the 90s and the end of the 90s is, is seismic in Wales in terms of like how proud... You were of your Welsh roots by the end of the 90s. You know, you had stuff like Hugh Edwards, who was like an accent on the news as well. Yeah, the, of course, yeah. Um, the Senate, the Welsh Assembly was uh, created following a yes vote in 97, I think. Um, you said you had Reese Evans, you know, real sort of accent as well, like, you know, becoming a huge star in, in his pants, albeit. Yeah. Um, in Notting Hill. Snorkel, um, yeah. But yeah, like, um, I, I think there was a collective enthusiasm about being Welsh as well. Like, obviously, Catatonia had the song International Velvet every day, Thank the Lord on Welsh, in the mm. uh, chorus, which is probably a little bit overblown, but a great song. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in 1999, in just three gigs alone, the Stereophonics, Manic and Catatonia um, attracted 160,000 fans. So that's nice. the Manic Millennium. That's big. Uh, Mark and Park with Catatonia and Morpheus Stadium with the Stereophonics, yeah. So, oh, of course, um, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were they, they, by, by the end of the nineties, kind of like the Welsh bands were the front runners for the UK. Really, I would say. I think that's fair to say. You know, with what, what do you guys think? I mean, what what were your sort of memories, guys, of that sort of time? Can you remember oh, like Christ. in these? Well, sort of I bands was or? I would have been ten, um, <clears throat> and I wasn't. Yeah, back then I was listening to like S Club. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't into music <laughs> at that point. But I will say yeah. that when 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 I turned like when I really got into music, like. 14, 15, around that age. Mannix, obviously, were a big one for me, but also Stereophonics were as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they had... Oh, God, what was it? Like 2000 and maybe five when they released uh, Language, Sex, Violence. Yeah, yeah. That, was, yeah. that is such a good that album. That was quite yeah, a big good. album for me. Um, in my Your dad was a big fan of Stereophonics, wasn't he? No. Oh, I made that up. Really hates them. Oh, really? That's, <laughs> yeah. probably, what, that's probably what I've got in my head then. <laughs> my, my first year of going to gigs all have a Wales connection oh, in that cool. I saw Manic Street Preachers in Southampton and then my other two gigs that year I travelled to Cardiff Stadium to see REM and then oh, Cardiff, I that gig. Yeah, yeah that's a good gig. And then <laughs> Cardiff Arena to see Stereophonics that year. Yeah. Um, what year was that? That would have been two thousand and five. Yeah. So Language Violence Sex Other is out. Yeah, I think so. I think it was that tour. Yeah. I, I have since uh my love affair with Stereophonics was short-lived, I right. think. Um, but I have to say, until I've started doing this podcast, I have never consciously considered when an act is Welsh or not, mm. and I've always just classed it as British. All right. See, that's funny because I'm actually the opposite. I've always had this funny idea in my head of like, Welsh, Wales seems to have a lot of good bands come out of it, but I think it's just because you know that they're Welsh, yeah. whereas I don't consider the fact yeah. that Coldplay are English. <clears throat> I mean, I, mean it, it, it's, I just go, oh yeah, Stereophonics are Welsh, Manix are Welsh. It, it's such a small nation as well, I suppose. I mean, mm. th there's no way we could ever do something called the English Music Podcast because there'd just be <laughs> yeah. so many, you know, it's just, it's what's the population of England? 50 million, is it? Um, it, it would just be, la it'd just be laughed at, yeah. whereas, you know, a population of 3 million, you can sort of frame it a bit more. Mm. But um, I think I think Steve and I probably also have a of like a, a Welsh music history, which is in a very different vein. Though I'm worried like, how this is going. Go on. It's the it's the emo like late bullet for my Valentine. Late oh, it's right. bullet for my Valentine. Funeral for a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<coughs> lost profits. Oh, um, yeah. Let's not talk about uh, lost profits. It's, there was that like bridge end. Yeah. Uh, and what was that other one? Eighteen visions. Yeah. Were they from there and all? I think there is this whole little like this little bridge end pocket of of emo and like yeah, yeah. post hardcore music that me and Steve were into for about two years when we were. I saw 18. Bullet for My Valentine at the Southampton Guildhall, and because the sound quality of that place was so bad, I I couldn't tell what they were playing. So that's my that's <laughs> I, my memory of that. I have that I saw when them I live their albums. five yeah. times. <laughs> I saw them live five times, them five and I just and I described their first album as life changing. Yes, you did. I remember you telling. Me. <laughs> I mean, I suppose that makes sense. Like, if if you guys were conscious that like four or five of the bands that you like were from Wales, and it makes sense that you were conscious of that. But it was like a thing. It was like the Bridge End emo yeah. scene yeah. was like a th- was like a thing. I just never paid it much attention. Yeah, to and and there's there's a because re- it was bad. There's a really cool. Um, Either in uh, Welsh music history, um, I, I don't know whether you guys will be uh, familiar with it, but um, Newport was considered like it was. I think it was um, Neil Strauss, um, who was like this author. Who, I think he wrote Marilyn Manson's book and um, he did and the game. The game, yeah, yeah, oh, um, yeah. And Steve's he, he, Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wrote Jenna Jameson's book as well. Apparently, oh, really? so I did. Anyway, um, he labelled Newport the New South. Christ, put my teeth in the new Seattle because it was kind of like the answer at the time to the, the grunge movement in America oh. on a small, you know, much smaller scale. But um, yeah, there was an urban yeah. legend that um, Kurt Cobain proposed to Courtney Love in the uh, TJ's, which is a club in Newport as well. Oh, right, that time. <laughs> is that true? So, uh, yeah, there, there's some really cool bands around that time. So, that, that was another real big moment in sort of the 90s for Welsh music as well. And, and I suppose that what that brings to the, the forefront is that they're a lot more. Welsh stories were told, or Welsh people's stories, um, and this is a masterful segue, of which Tsunami is one. Yes. Well done. Is it the Gibbons twins, the yeah. Silent twins? Yeah. yeah it is. Um, and that was. Oh, you've caught me now. I haven't quite researched this one, but this, from the top of my head, this is the Silent twins who developed their own language. Was it, and just yeah. spoke exclusively yeah. to each other? Yeah, which was. Yeah, my notes for this song says in in all caps cool story <laughs> oh did you look it up lucas yeah i, I looked it up oh, uh, it's, it's very interesting Boo. um but yeah it's one of those kind of um uh interesting welsh stories that again nikki saw on like a documentary yeah that, that for some reason whatever was going on at the time like they felt sort of potentially more comfortable to say on this album should we detail the story instead of talking about it in vague terms? Um, we can. I mean, we'll, we'll detail it on the next episode anyway, won't we? Because we? we're going to go track by track on that one, aren't we? Good, yeah. yeah. Good point. Um, but yeah, what, what, wasn't it they ended up in a psychiatric... Ended up in Broadmoor. Yeah, yes, Broadmoor, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's where the disco dancing with the rapist sort of line comes from, yeah? Yeah. What and a line. Then, yeah. Yeah, Steve's no, my face. God, yeah. Steve's little face. I, that, I love this that. This is all new <laughs> to you, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that, yeah that, that's quite a sort of holy Bible-esque line, really. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously, yeah, this album was um, not not just part of the Welsh culture, but kind of very important for the Welsh culture and bringing it to other cultures just through the means of its success. But I know we've talked about before... This is my truth. Tell me yours. Not them not having that, but it is something that runs through the rest of their career going forward as well. Yeah. Um, and what I originally asked you to do was I 
put I gave you the horrible task of giving me your top ten manic songs. Oh, yeah. That now was Neil, hard. you haven't done that, have you? No, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it last night, and actually, what you've done is much more interesting. Yep. Um, so number one, repeat stars. And can stripes. you? <laughs> so what you've done? What, what you've done is something much more interesting. In, rather than just general top ten manic songs, you've given us what is it? It's, it's, it's top ten. Welsh manic songs. Yeah, it's um, kind of like ooh. manic songs about Wales or with Welsh uh, leaning lyrics, I guess. Interesting. You, you could ask me tomorrow, and I'll probably maybe pick a different ten. Or um, yeah, there's some sort of honourable mentions. Um, there's stuff like Mass Against the Class and Thirty Year War, which is about the class struggle in Wales, um, which I haven't included. Okay. Um, stuff like 1975 we touched upon you know redundance of Sal- Sad Welsh Chapel and Cardiff Afterlife I think is more about Richie than maybe Wales and Cardiff per se yeah um, this is going to mean nothing to Stephen Lucas so far <laughs> I'm enjoying <laughs> listening to you it know, this <laughs> stuff like um, View from Stowe Hill on Futurology which is yeah, um, yeah. sort of references the um, Chartist suffrage movement um can't take my eyes off you, but I didn't want to. That's I can, like a cover. I can tell that you're you're cheekily trying to get in more songs than ten <laughs> by just mentioning but, all of them. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's a Welsh football answer. Anyway, right, I'm digressing. Yeah, right. So say, can't take my eyes off you. Is that a cover of? Yeah, as in can't take my eyes off you. Is in your just yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but okay. that is um, quite a. Da, 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 <laughs> da, da. Give us give us the Welsh connection on that one, then Neil. Could be ah right. So now this goes back to. Uh, 1993, I think, 93, yeah, where Wales football at the time had a montage of them playing and Can't Take Your Eyes Off You was on the BBC Wales advert in the background and there was a little, I think it was a little football that was bouncing over the lyrics that we were supposed to sing along to at home and um, it became like this sort of iconic sort of um, song for the whole sort of qualifying campaign. But kind of like in true sort of Welsh style up until <laughs> a few years ago, we were due to like qualify for the first time uh, for a major tournament since 1958. And it came down more or less to one kick of a ball. We needed one point to qualify. I, I, I'm sounding like I'm going off on a massive tangent here. But um, we had a great we team. On this podcast, it's we had a great team then, like Ian Rush, Brian Giggs in the team, Mark Hughes, Gary Speed. We win a penalty to go 2-1 up against Romania. And Swindon Town's left-back, Paul Bodin, steps up. <laughs> who who admittedly did take pens for his uh, for his team. But when you've got like Ian Rush and people like that and so on, you think, what the hell is going on? And he hit the bar. Seconds later, oh. Romania scored the winner to knock this out. and Well, you know, end our hopes of qualifying for the World Cup. And James still references it in the acoustic interludes to... Can't take my eyes off you on the Man Millennium dig, uh, gig. Actually, he always sa- he says, "Ah, oh, you know, this always reminds me of getting knocked out by Romania and oh, I hate Romanians and all this sort of thing." So yeah, that, that's where it's come from. Does, and it's only does he say years I hate Romanians? <laughs> 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 I don't remember that bit. They must have cut it from the DVD. No, <laughs> the, the, I think he, he, he said, oh, I, yeah, I think he said, oh, I, I hate Romanians." Uh, yeah. you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but that was the CIA gig. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's where that's come from anyway. So does, anyway, has, um, has it maintained that connection with Welsh football then? That song? It has, yeah. But um, because we've qualified for two tournaments uh, in the last few years, it kind of is not seen so much 
in terms of like abject failure of the Welsh team now. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just an anthem. Yeah, it's just yeah. So it's like a, yeah, it's just like a football, you know, terrace sort of anthem, and um, it's certainly sort of um, infiltrated into the uh, together stronger. You know, the song they did a few years ago. Oh yes, we're going to get onto that. Which was uh, a bit of a potted history episode. of yeah, the Welsh Welsh history. Um, Welsh I have no history. idea where the origin of that song is, though. Can't take my eyes off you. I don't know who did that. song. It was Frankie first. Valley. I think. Endless, yeah, Frankie yeah. Valley. Endlessly covered, isn't it? Andy yeah. Williams did a good version of it. Um, but yeah, it's. it's a, I think I think Muse had done a cover of um, my favourite band Muse of, have done yeah. a very good cover oh, of that song. God, they have, That's what you they? wanted to get on, wasn't it, Lucas? <laughs> no. yeah. And once again, we found our way back to Muse. Don't worry, guys, you'll get to dance to it at my wedding. I, 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 think, I think the Manics have always been quite good with their choice of cover versions because they're, they're either sort of um, fanboy sort of selections from um, their time as uh, fans like themselves, McCarthy, or, or yeah, 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 exactly, or, or it's been. Um, Stuff that's a bit more tongue in cheek and not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah, but that's my favourite kind of cover. Yeah, what, the yeah. I mean, the tongue in cheek covers. Yeah, when, when you really, and they, it's they, not a, it's not the best fit, but it's funny. I mean, they, yeah. they've done stuff like um, "Feels Like Heaven," which is a brilliant cover, which is um, uh, sort of more like this sort of fan sort of thing to pick from the eighties. But they also did stuff like um, a real curveball was um, "Umbrella." Which yeah, is a brilliant cover, really, you know. Yeah, it's really in like Rihanna. That. It, it yeah, transformed yeah. the song for me because I didn't like the original, but then I, I think the cover is brilliant. It's such a good song, like yeah. just the songwriting on that song. Anyway, right. We have, anyway, we have digressed um, again. So um, I came up with the top ten. Um, I tried to put in order of um, preference as well. well so this is top is ten, one. kind of Welsh. So yeah, it's, it's, it's probably it's there'll probably be some people. Um, Content actually saying, "Oh, you've missed out so and so. You missed out sure, so and so." Yeah, but this so, is your preference anyway. So yeah, so yeah. Um, I tried to go for a mix of singles and album tracks and sort of curveball like B sides. So it's kind of like a nice little playlist actually. Cool. So okay, um, let's do it. Number ten is an obscure track actually. It's on Lipstick Traces. It was their B side to the Everlasting. What was it, Adam? Uh, Valley Boy. Hey, well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's only because so, um, I've just been researching all of the This Is My True <laughs> stuff that I've got that. So, so yeah, it, it, it touches upon um, Nicky's um, sort of uh, pride in his own sort of self-contentment sort of thing, you know, mm. a little bit like my, uh, Mr. Carbohydrate and that sort of thing. Um, so start off, here I am in Amsterdam. I like it here. They speak my language, even if it's not my own. So it's kind of having oh, sort of... Nice um, yeah, feeling something akin with someone else who's not from the same place as you, and um, it touches on uh, like comforts like CFAX and BBC and Marks and Spencers <laughs> and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, and it became like it's a classic so rock sort and of, roll, um, isn't it? Yeah, it C-fax. became like a T-shirt Mark, song about CFAX. They they love CFAX back then, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like a heart and sleeve sort of title as well like you know where, where from where he's came from um he and it goes back boy. to what we're saying yeah. that, i mean this was released in november 98 so they had that sort of level of contentment with showing their welshness i suppose yeah yeah, um, yeah. right okay number nine the nine, next nine, one nine, uh prologue to history um i don't like it as much as many uh manix fans i think some manix fans really like oh it should have been a single that sort of thing yeah i don't um, agree with that Either. I really like it. I don't <laughs> think it fits on the This no, Is My I, Truth I, I don't album. Think it, 
I don't think it fits so much with the melancholic feel, really. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I well, liked Nobody Loved You as well, which was taken off the yeah. uh, reissue, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So, um, yeah, it starts off with um, a term the, uh, the band used to use, actually, called the Kinnock Factor, the Neil Kinnock Factor, mm. which was where, um, in the early uh, 90s, when he was Labour leader, he was going for um, the Prime Minister um, at the election, and... Um, there were quite a lot of sort of um, headlines about, you know, if this idiot um, runs the country, will the last person out of Britain um, turn the lights out, which I think was a Sun headline. And right. it was, yeah, there was a lot of like um, taking the mick out of his accent and the sort of, you know, think. Uh, I think, I, I don't get it's quite so prevalent, but it used to be, I think, in the 90s that um, certainly outsiders would think the Welsh were like quite thick. And oh, I think really? that sort of, yeah, and I think that sort of come across like they, I think you seem to remember there was a spitting image pip, uh, puppet which um, mocked uh, kind of like mercilessly. M- God, I can't please speak mercilessly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I quite like spitting image, but um, yeah, so that there was um, definitely like a sort of anti-Welsh um, element of the British press that maybe had an effect on Kinnock, um not getting in. But um, and then the Manics also... are kind of relating that back to themselves. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, certainly, I think their their early days, um, they're linking back to there. But I think um, his constituency house was on the same street that James grew up on. And um, there was a quote from... I mean, he is a bit of a a divisive character, Kinnock, and I think there was a quote from Richie, more or less, saying he wasn't extreme enough. Like, you could have put a ham sandwich uh, up for Labour leader in, you know, in in, in Welsh, (laughs) like, communities. They would have voted for it. (laughs) <laughs> so you were saying you should have been a lot more extreme and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, there's other sort of references to Welshness in it, like uh, Phil Bennett, um, who was a legendary outside half um, for Wales and the British Lions and the Barbarians. That's kind of like Nicky's um, sports, like Stato sort of side coming out, which comes out yeah. a lot more in the post-Everything Must Go years. Um, next one? Yeah, <clears throat> number eight. Also a good song. Manabia. Is the next one, which is a <coughs> which is was, that, that's well, from Rewind the Rewind film? the film, yeah. Is it not an instrumental? Well, instrumental, yeah. Okay. The first instrumental to find its way into a Manics album. Oh yeah, always been B sides up until then. Um, <coughs> I think it, it, it's, it's a special one for me as well because I think um, Postcards from a Young Man and Rewind the film are both sort of Welsh thematically, more so rewind the film. But in terms of my own personal experience, I go um, on holidays down West Wales a lot and I've had those albums on a lot when I've been down there. Right. And you do, it does sort of um, flavour the album more when you're actually seeing the landscape in front of you and the scenery and that sort of thing. So um, it's inspired by um, a, a beach on the uh, West Wales coast. Um, it's a castle where George Bernard Shaw used to um, write. <coughs> and... Um, it's just a, it's it kind of like it, there's a real sort of warmth and sort of um, earthiness to it. It was a great um, sort of intro. To, did you go to the Rewind the Film tour? I think it was the intro I, music to that. I did on my own. Did you? Oh, I yeah, I know. 
in um, uh, and, and again, it? it's got it's, it's a theremin as well. The the, the riff on it, which is uh, is it really? I don't think there's many I mean, Manix records that will have that on it. Cool, <laughs> that's very cool. I like it already. Yeah, yeah, it's not, and it's, and it's because it's an instrumental and it's got a theremin on it. Lucas and it's got is theremin on board. It. It's because I'm he doesn't so have to look into the lyrics. That's yeah. why he can't wait. And it's um, it's a good one in terms of like it would usually be put maybe at the halfway point of the Manix album as like a breather, mm. but in this one it. He's a breather for Thirty Year War, which is yes. a really great lyric. It's like a scathing attack on Thatcherism and old Etonian scum and all that sort of thing. And uh, kind of like Thirty Year War is a kind of little like like a bit of an island away from the rest of Rewind the Film. It's a lot more sort of yeah, politically I've, I've, sort of infused. I've and seen a lot of people saying sound. it actually probably fits more on Futurology than it does on Rewind the Film a little bit. Thirty Year War. Um, I kind of think it could have been like a sort of b-side or standalone single really because oh, okay i think it's more the sort of Germ- germanic sort of sound isn't it futurology but then so yeah but then there's some bleed uh i have my own version of futurology uh, we'll get we'll get into it a different time we'll but yeah um time. i mean the, the manics are huge fans of west wales they go down themselves a lot um i know when richie wrote um not richie and uh, nikki wrote australia originally it was all about getting the furthest away from all the headlines about Richie that he could go. Yeah. Um, and Although, thought, as Steve Australia. pointed out, that, that is New Zealand, it turns out. He ended up actually staying in Tenby in West Wales yeah. um, because of like a fear of flying and just, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's this West Wales sort of uh, infused itself in a lot of Manix uh, stuff, like Postcards from a Young Man. It's about. Um, Childhood and Memories of the, the West Wales Coast. Um, there's Caldy, which is a B-side. I don't know if you're aware of that one. It's yeah, Caldy Island yeah, yeah. in West Wales, where the monks are. Um, and yeah, um, just, uh, yeah, I think Manaby is, a, you know, a perfect sort of addition cool. to rewind the film. Yeah. That's a cool choice, cool pick. What was that? Right. That was number eight. So number Next one, um, Dylan and Caitlin. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, great, uh, great... Welsh duet, really. Um, mm. Brilliant uh, vocal from um, the anchoress. Um, it's about Dylan Thomas and his um, wife, Caitlin, had quite a sort of um, explosive uh, relationship. Um, Dylan Thomas had his demons, um, was an alcoholic. Um, and it's kind of like touching on that sort of torture genius sort of thing mm. of... Um, can you reach that same level of creativity without, you know, and uh, amazing sort of poetry and that sort of thing without having those sort of demons sort of thing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get completely what you mean. It's also one of their kind of biographical songs that uh, reaches kind of into the more poetic sort of lyrical thing than... Um, uh, we, we've spoken about Kevin Carter and how that's quite... A very, a very specifically biographical song that is just like, <clears throat> here's some of the things that this man did. Yeah. Whereas yeah, D- yeah. Dylan and Caitlin is a really interesting. It's a conversation between two people done as a yeah, duet. Yeah, it, it's 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 great. Um, I mean, the only sort of song I can really think of that has that sort of, you know, maybe conversation is something like fairy tale of new york or something i don't know whether that's a fairy. yeah that's a good comparison because um, yeah. that again is like with a, a drunk and his wife sort of um yeah. <laughs> rowing but um 
I mean, I, I know that the, the Manics has sort of like um, acknowledged. I don't know. I, I don't know whether this was a purpose thing, but it sounds like um, "Don't Go Breaking My Heart," Elton John and Kiki D. <laughs> but but <laughs> it does. Yeah, but also right. the <clears throat> I think the um, the intro music especially sounds like um, "Love and Affection." Joan Armatrade. I don't know if you know that song. I do not know that song. Oh, but you I don't think know that song, Lucas right. probably will. That sounds like something that's right up his street. <laughs> What? Why would you ever expect that of me? I don't know. It just seems like something, one of those left-field artists that you would be into. Afraid not. Okay. Um, right. Okay. Um, Distant Colours next. Number six. Which is six, off, um, six, is also off uh, Resistance is Futile. Um, brilliant vocal on this, first and foremost. And James, clear as a bell. Um, there's a real warmth to his vocal on this track. That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a Bradfield lyric as well. It is, yeah. 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 Interesting. What um, album's that on? Resistance the last, the last two have been off Resistance is Futile, which is the most recent one. Oh, okay. So, um, so far until we get to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got another yeah. year yet, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, um, a Bradfield lyric on political fractures and the disconnection he feels between current events and the left-wing movement he grew up around. Mm. Um, amazing video as well, Kieran Evans. Um who did a um, video suite actually for Rewind the Film, which was um, Show Me the Wonder and uh, Anthem for a Lost Cause. Oh, yeah. Um, cool. And that, that uh, I'll go into that in my next choices, spoiler alert. Oh, um, spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the video as well um, references like Kovyuk Druerin, the m- memorial we were talking about earlier with um, Ready for Drowning. Um, Statue of Llewellyn at Griffith, um, the Iron Bevan Stones that we um, referenced earlier, that mm. Nicky and Patrick um, were listening to the This Is My Truth um, speech. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And, <laughs> and uh, the Garden of the Valley's Miners Memorial also references um, Blackwood's Chartist Monument, um, which we spoke of earlier with the view of Stowe Hill. Um, yeah. Like the, the suffrage movement. Oh, there's much so, yeah, more in that lyric. Loads than I of had uh, Welsh references in that one. Um, yeah. Then show me the wonder next. Number five. Number five. Show me um, the wonder. I love show me the wonder. Brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's really, really, really uplifting. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's, yeah, it's it's a melancholy. <laughs> as I say, it's a melancholic um, album. But then there's that sort of really uplifting song um, that's in there as well. Um, I've seen the music video to that. In the music video is that is like the music video is them dressed like in the seventies, right? And he's it playing is, yeah, like and it's in the working men's club, yeah, yeah. in the, in the yeah. valleys, yeah. And um, it's amazing uh, line in that. We may write in English, but our truth remains in Wales. Nice, which oh, um, nice. you know, the, I took the manic any, any of them are fluent Welsh speakers, but um, I think they're more or less saying there that um, their Welshness isn't any less sincere and genuine and. You know, they haven't got any less proudness for the fact that they don't speak in Welsh because I think there has been, certainly in the past, there's been a bit of a snobbishness about the Welsh language and whether you can, you know, speak right. it and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think um, I've seen an interview with James where he says, like, they would feel a bit uh, disingenuous singing, singing <laughs> in the Welsh language because they didn't grow up speaking the Welsh language. And he only yeah, knows I mean, sort of I, bits I and think, pieces. I think he does... I think there is a. I think it's the it's the same interview where he calls Davina McCall a racist. Oh God, that one, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, wow. I, I, I think he's got a bit of a hangover in that video. Yeah, yeah, yes. that yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, is there any examples of them actually using Welsh, the language, in any songs? Yeah, I think I've, they, haven't I not seen a, um, a, a 
a Design for Life, didn't they play in? There's a, yeah, there's a that, video that, that of, was for um, Michael Sheen's The Passion. I was going to say him going yeah. nuts in the background. Yeah, was great. so that <laughs> was, um, I think that was in 2011, I think. It was a um, a live play that you could sort of interact with in the streets of Port Albert. Oh, cool. And uh, it was about the censorship of music. I, I didn't go to it, but yeah, it was about the censorship of music. And yeah, I think Design for Life is sang in Welsh on that. Mm. Um, I think as well, he, he, he sings um, a verse in Welsh on public broadcasting services... Song Turn on War. Oh yeah, and it does. Um, yeah, which is all about um, uh, the mining in. That's that it, stuff, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I think the Ready for Drowning. If you haven't heard it, they, you must have heard the Ready for Drowning um, version they did with John Cale on the piano. I have. Yeah, yeah. And he and he, he um, John Cale. Someone will have to. You'll have to put this message out on Twitter. What what yeah. is that uh, that he says, John Cale in Welsh? It's, it's a poem. It could be Thomas. I'm not right. sure. Writing that, it down. That's certainly a. Um, I couldn't find it in my research. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, right. What are we on now? Just, Adam's oh just God. super chuffed that someone else has done some work. I know. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, Adam. So Adam it has so much joy in his eyes. <clears throat> yeah. Just the fact that he's talking to someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And like, I, I, feel, I feel like I, I feel like we're excluding you two though, which is a bit. Oh no no no! Exactly. I'm that's I'm ideal. Not really enjoying. I, I wouldn't even good. say rivals Adam. I would say <laughs> trounces Adam Betters in him. terms of uh, in terms of Manic's knowledge. Right, well, fuck off. I'm sad. <laughs> um, I think we're at number four. Four. Um, this Southern Welsh Heart. I think yeah, one yeah. of the most beautiful songs they've ever, ever done. Really um, great, yeah. Is that about Wales? <laughs> and, it, and it's, um, you know, there's so many brilliant Mannix album starters, like Slash and Burn, Found That Soul, where it's like the amps turn up to 11. But this one is such a gutsy one in terms of it's so quiet, it's so sparse. Yeah. Um, it really sets the tone for the album really yeah, well. And it, yeah, and it, it's, it's kind of like a Leonard Cohen sort of delivery. Um, really beautiful vocal from Lucy Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's a little bit of um, a exploration of like being downtrodden uh, and feeling sort of melancholic uh, being Welsh again. Mm. Um but also, um, with that comes maybe a reaction to um, wanting others to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and, and you oh, must succeed, and others must fail. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, I think in the chorus, Nikki's more or less saying, "I don't want to feel like this," and it's something they touch on in "Misguided Missile." I am the Schadenfreude, you know, and that oh, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So it's more or less taking glory in others in the downfall of others. But that is a very manic thing in terms that of like, is, yeah. especially very in the early years, you know, when, you know, Richie's quote, we will always hate um, slow dive more than Adolf Hitler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just that complete, like, you know, slaying your contemporaries. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, the, the manics have always sort of known that they are better than what's out there. Um, right, my next choice was Ready for Drowning, which I think beautiful song we've covered. Earlier. I think we yeah. have. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, number two. two uh, yeah, two. I'll, I'll I'll skip that one then. Um, <laughs> number two is um, if you tolerate this, which isn't mm. one that immediately strikes you as Welsh thematically. Um, obviously, it's up there my my second choice because it's such a brilliant song as well. But um, yeah, we, we touched upon the line earlier from the Welsh farmer who was saying, um, "If I can shoot fascists, then I can. If I can shoot rabbits, I can shoot fascists." Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was where um, Welsh people um, 
volunteered for the International Brigade to go over to Spain to fight against Franco, the dictator. In the Civil War, and, yeah. Yeah, um, just because they were ideologically um, opposed to fascism, which is an incredible thing, really. Like, they, you know, they didn't have a horse in the race, so, so to speak, but because they were ideologically opposed to that, yeah, went out and fought, which is, you know, incredible courage, and you know, that's just amazing. Like, um, I don't think that, that would happen today. I don't know, really. I don't think uh, so. Yeah. I'd but, sign a petition. I reckon I'd sign a <laughs> yeah. petition. You'd sign a change.org petition that would get ignored. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> want to get involved in any fights. But, I'm, not, I'm not cut out for it. Yeah. But I, I think I think that you, what you're saying there though is what Nikki's saying in the lyric. You know, yeah, I, I wouldn't have the courage to do it myself. I'm a gutless wonder, and yeah. um, it, it's sort of like what you know. He, he says that he's a pacifist in the song, but he's also saying that if you don't fight for anything, then you what know, good that, are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. the the, the, the mm. quickest way for evil to sort of happen is for good men to do nothing. It's that sort of theory. Um, yeah. So um it's interesting that all, like most of these songs you've listed have been off albums I've yet to hear which seems to Yeah, well, I think show that they get more Welsh as they go on. That's the thing I think this is my truth kind of opened them up to that and it hasn't really been that much of a concern in in stuff that we've already covered. I, I, and I mean. also as well I think what you'll see with this song is, you know, um he says in the lyric I'm a pacifist and all this sort of thing. And this a little bit what I'm going to um, go on to say with Design for Life with um, We Only Want to Get Drunk, where lyrics get taken too literally. Yeah, we <coughs> talked think, about this, didn't we? And I think this adver- uh, this has been used on an advert in the past for... For the um, BMP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, my God. Yeah, I was reading but about as well, that like, um, people thinking this is this song about um, the horrors of war and that sort of thing, but it's, all, but it's actually a pro-war song, more or less mm. saying if you don't, fight for what you believe in your children will be next and yeah if you tolerate um, the fascism wow. yeah yeah and yeah. um it kind of goes back to um even stuff like archives of pain where you know that was a pro-death penalty song you know that's a really like forceful lyric yeah and yeah that's a that's a mad lyric that one yeah um <laughs> yeah so yeah um brilliant track and uh it's it, probably the only song that i think can close manix gigs Apart from Design for Life, really. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I, I've seen them do Motown Junk and You Love Us, but I, I don't know. I think it's quite the same. I've not heard of that one. What's that? <laughs> All right. What you love us? <laughs> no, if you tolerate this, oh, right. I was being you were being really funny, funny, were you? Yeah, I was being really, really oh, funny. Lucas yeah. was being really funny. <clears throat> yeah, he um, hasn't talked for the last half an hour, and then he's so coming with that. Number one. <laughs> Which I think no. you've given us spoilers for already. Oh god, sorry honest. about that. Yeah, um, Design for Life. Um, I'm well, kind I heard of that one. <laughs> now, <laughs> now Steve is actually being funny. Now Neil, before I'm you get I'm into it, I'm kind of predictable. It, like it, it's my favourite Manic song. I think maybe some Manic fans would think. Is it? You know, is it terribly? Not to disagree with you, but is is it terribly Welsh? I've always seen that as a very global. I, I think. Kind of I mean, I know, know Nicky Wires said that it couldn't have been written anywhere else apart from the Welsh valleys but i think what i think what he also i mean it really it's an anthem for as a tribute for working class spirit and resilience yeah um and how you know the upper classes see people from working uh for working class that they only want it they're just louts and they just want to get drunk and um you know there is an element to that obviously but um <laughs> you know um 
to start a song like that that's so big and was sort of co-opted by the people who only wants to get drunk that starts with the line libraries gave us power is the ultimate irony um and like yeah. it's sort of like that's the working true. class empowerment in terms of um libraries are well always have been but particularly years ago were an amazing resource certainly before the internet for people from working class environments who haven't got so much money to access and get that sort of knowledge yeah that's really true and um, there is that specific welsh connection to the the newport library as well is that yeah it was, Nick, um, uh, the inspiration yeah, just, for that um, just down the road from where nikki lives um libraries give us power and um <clears throat> It actually is on, Libraries Give Us Power is on the um, opening stone of Cardiff Central Library. They opened it in 2009. And oh, wow. Yeah, that is actually, it says open by the Matching Street. It's got Libraries Give Us Power on the that's stone. Cool. Oh, that's really cool. Hey, guys, and, um, guess what? Lucas and Steve, we're going to go and see that in December. <laughs> we're going to go and do a pilgrimage to yeah. that library. Let's take a picture next to it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it, it kind of. Um, I mean, it, it, it was written, it was, I think it's the m- most important song of the Manic's career in terms of, obviously, um, after Richie disappeared, whether they would go on as a band. Um, yeah, of I know um, Nicky originally wrote this song that was about, um, it was two ideas, a design for life and the pure motive, and it was um, sprawled across 20 pages, and it was, you know, really sort of... Wow. Um, like an essay. Not, not concise, put it that way, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And um, he said to James what he had in mind. James came up with this Morricone-esque waltz, and he wanted this massive sort of spectresque sort of wall of sound production. And he knew as soon as he came up with the riff, it was like sort of pure gold, and it was going to work. But yeah, I mean, what, what he's saying with you know to show the scars from where I came, it's kind of like a um, dichotomy between feeling um, that he's different from these people. Uh, he, he, he he wants to um, absorb. Um, books and be intelligent that sort of thing but at the same time there is that sort of I want to show where I've come from Yeah. so it's like I wish I had a bottle right? And, you know, it's, it's this sort of violent imagery of that um, there's even stuff like um, the scars of like coal dust is like is what old, uh, older miners used to have where you could see actually the coal dust underneath their cheeks oh wow, oh, wow. Uh, yeah so that is like another sort of um, evocative sort of image again um, and yeah, it's 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 infiltrated all sort of areas of Welsh life. Um, I mean, the um, ceremony when they opened the uh, library um, had the Cardiff Arms Park male voice choir singing "Design for Life," so it was kind of like the past and the present linking. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Of, of yeah, Welshness. yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't, um, I can't, you know, I can't blame you for putting that at number one. It is like kind of the quintessential manic song that sort of almost sums up everything yeah. that they they are about as a band um yeah i, I think i think it encapsulates everything um that, that they were say, trying to say from you know the days even like in 1985 when they were on their bed uh, bunk beds plotting what they were going to do i think it yeah. all stems back to there and it's summed up in in a design for life sort of yeah yeah and they later. achieved it with a plum yeah yeah that's a great awesome. list. What I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to put that into a playlist and post it on our Twitter oh, so that people can listen through that. That's oh, perfect. Thanks for putting that together. Um, that was cool. I enjoyed and, that. And thank you for joining us in general, Thanks Neil. so much. Yeah, enjoy, guys. Uh, it's the first time I've I've not been the, the one that's mainly talking, so it's been very nice for me. Yeah, I don't know how many people have been interested in those ramblings. But Adam yeah. got to come out of this having learnt some stuff. Yeah, yeah I've, I've learned loads Instead of having taught some stuff. Um, 
well, let, let's do a plug because people who uh, you know have, have enjoyed listening to you on on this show will definitely enjoy the welsh music podcast um, yeah and uh, as i say we'll hopefully have a lot more manix content come in um i mean you've had some amazing guests, guests on there you've had david owens you've had patrick jones which is obviously Nicky yeah, Wire's guy, brother really good plug, yeah. um john rostron that was a good episode uh, you did one about um the manic millennium gig didn't you yeah that, that was a good one actually because that was um it was just before we broke up for christmas actually yeah. and uh yeah, I'd had a few beers in the lunch hour and then I had a few beers after work and then all of a sudden I was meeting James who was stone cold sober and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm feeling too pissed. But uh, I think it, the, the beers are certainly um, made for a freer conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, a few F, there's a few F-bombs in there as well, which I'm not proud of. But, uh, yeah. That's an incentive Should for anybody to, go and, to our, go and listen. Would our podcast be better if we got drunk before? Uh, I've been drinking this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I would be remiss without mentioning that uh, you, that, that uh, you've had Ellis James on your podcast. And Steve, yeah, obviously you're a big yeah. fan of Ellis James. I'm a big fan of PCD. I was a retro one until they went over to the new God. one. So yeah, so I just yeah, yeah, great it, yeah. guy and um, a real anorak actually on um, yeah Welsh language music. Yeah, and, and he's he's an absolute stato on Gorky's I Got Me Bunky as well. Who, uh, yeah. A band who were really worth getting to if, uh, yeah, them super animals, that's your homework, get into them. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely everybody who's listening to this needs to go and check out Neil's podcast. Thank you. Uh, Neil, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Us. Enjoyed really it. Really great. Yeah, cheers, Neil. Lucas, cheers. Thanks, I man. guess, thank you for joining us. And Steve, we will see you next time. Uh, <laughs> just to remind you all that obviously we live in urban hell and we destroy uh, rock and roll. So, bye. Bye. Sean Moore. <laughs> Bye.